And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch. From growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back, back for another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here to have another conversation I'm hoping helps your business grow. So look, if you're going to be an entrepreneur, you're probably going to innovate something or make something that's already, that was once innovative even better. You're either finding new solutions, you're finding problems to solve, but without that, you're probably not going to be winning. That's what we're going to talk about today. Before I introduce today's guest, today's episode of Startup Hustle is powered by Fullscale.io. Hiring software developers is difficult, and Fullscale can help you build a software team quickly and affordably and has the platform to help you manage that team. Go to Fullscale.io to learn more. If you aren't aware, that's my business, and I would love to talk more to you about how we can help you out. Once again, if you go to Fullscale.io, it takes about two minutes to answer a couple questions and let us know what we can help you with. There's a link for that in the show notes. With me today, I've got William Walls, and William is the founder of Nordef, and they are in the heavy-duty trucking industry. You can go to Nordef, N-O-R-D-E-F.com. There's a link for that in the show notes as well. Straight out of Kansas City, Mo, my okay. kind of hometown. I'm actually in Kansas, but it's all one big Kansas City with an invisible line running through it. So I guess I should just say, William, welcome to Startup Hustle. Morning, morning. Thanks for having me. Yeah, there is that beautiful invisible line through our city that we don't we're aware of and makes things weird, honestly. You so, know, when you're going after that state money, it creates some boundaries. Yeah. Yeah, it's always odd. You get two two sets of rules, two mm-hmm. sets of taxes, two sets of a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. You can buy weed in Missouri, you can gamble in Kansas. <laughs> like it just really depends which side of the line you're on. Well, anyway, I digress. So I guess you know, let's get the conversation started with a little bit more about your backstory and what you guys do over at Nordef. Uh, you know, automotive educated, most of my professional career has been in heavy duty trucking, a little bit of the startup community. Uh, I was up at Smith Electric Vehicles. You know, I don't know if you remember them. They were up by the airport, yeah. medium duty trucks. Obama came to town and, you know, that whole thing. But um, yeah. Now I'm in the heavy duty trucking world, been there 10 years, you know, 20 years out of college. So most of my experience is here. And this is where I found this inefficiency. So where I found this problem that we have that I don't think many people realize we have. Well, what's the problem? The problem is the EPA mandated diesel engines be cleaner and the diesel engine manufacturers couldn't make a cleaner engine. So they decided to stick a quote unquote after treatment system on these engines, every diesel engine. Uh, so Volkswagen Beetles to locomotives and, and rail and steam or um, <laughs> uh, ocean liners. But this after treatment system requires an aqueous solution called diesel exhaust fluid DEF. And our route to market, we just plugged it into the local bulk oil distribution model. You know, uh, this is a water product. Um, our idea isn't novel 
per se. Our idea is novel to this segment in this industry, but, you know, Tide took water out of Tide pods and Campbell's took water out of soup and we took water out of DEF, right? So now you're just shipping around the urea and then adding back in the water at the point of use. The problem is DEF has a short shelf life, about six months, if it's stored properly. Um, you're spending most of that time just getting the product to the customer's hands. The, the bulk DEF is made regionally around the country. So it's shipped by trucks to clean the trucks on the road, right? It doesn't, it's not a efficient route to market model. Okay. I'm not going to pretend to be an expert <laughs> on any of this stuff, dude. Like when we start talking about engines, I'm like, how many horsepower and how fast does it go? And then I don't even have that same kind of engine in my car because I run on electric now, which is faster. But yeah, there's a lot. I think the only thing I know is that diesel engines last longer. Um, it's not always easy to get diesel at the pump. Um, and I know that it's used for a lot of a lot of bigger engines and stuff like that. Yeah. They're dirty now, engines, though. Are they? Yes, very much so. Okay. Okay. Because... I was under the impression that on some levels, diesel might actually have been a little bit cleaner. Than the, the, the burning of diesel, it, I guess it could be cleaner, but the diesel engine itself is very inefficient. Remember back in the day or the term uh, rolling coal? Remember when people used to blow the smoke out their tailpipe or oh, yeah. semis growing yeah. up and all of that now, that soot that was going in the atmosphere, harming our ozone, is now yeah. captured under the truck with the use of diesel exhaust fluid. And it's well, speaking, well, yeah, I'm sorry, I may cut you off. No, 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 go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I mean, speaking of winning with innovation, you just want, you just want something. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Let's not wait too long. Cause obviously, like, like I said, I, I, I'm, I'm busy uh, shaming myself for my lack of engine and fuel combustion knowledge, which I don't know why I would know too much about that, but there were. Let's talk a little bit about your ag innovation challenge and uh, and what that what that looked like. Yeah, so we're constantly looking for money, pockets of money here and there. You know, we participated in the uh, UMKC Digital Sandbox contest. You know, got a little money there, helped pay for patents and IP protection. Uh, we got some money from the state of Kansas, and we found this ag industry challenge innovation challenge just put on by the farm bureau and uh it was kind of a long shot the application process was very lengthy very long written application uh with a video that we had to go shoot and, and put together and in the end we were one of 70 companies who applied uh nationwide and got accepted to this this pitch contest which took us all the way down to Puerto Rico there was semifinals, there was top 10, then there was the final four, which we presented at the Farm Bureau conference on the showroom. Um, while people were walking around, it was kind of a, it was kind of a crazy experience. But um, yeah, we walked away from that thing, winning the whole contest. What were some of the other things that people were doing at that contest? Like, who were you competing against? Oh, very cool stuff. One of them um, was mushrooms. These guys out of Georgia are growing mushrooms in um, uh, containers, like trucking containers. They've built a automated system that controls humidity and temperature and light, and they're growing mushrooms. Very cool guys. Um, they were runner-ups. There was another group, um, this girl in a um, 
veterinarian out of Texas, and they were improving embryos, basically IVF for cows. It was very wild out there technology. They can bring calves to full term better than naturally, I guess, um, mother nature. And then the other top four, uh, the other contestant were, they were from Iowa and they are taking the farmer's market online. So they are closing the, the loop or, or putting you directly in contact with these farms who are growing, you know, they, they're butchering their own cows and they got pigs and pork and chickens and eggs and, and produce and grains. And, and they're putting you in contact, me and you, everyday people with these farms regionally. It's pretty cool too. They were very good competition. I'm learning that today's episode is going to be the one where I know absolutely nothing about nothing. And I'm okay with that. So, you know, it's uh, we try, we try to, we try to cast a, a wide lens on entrepreneurship. And by the way, in order to do that, that means you're going to talk about some days. People ask me a lot. They're like, well, is it hard doing the podcast as much as you do it? And I said, not when I know what we're talking about. And then there's the times I don't which yeah. is today, which is fine. Uh, now, you know, d- give you a little background and part of, you know, Startup Hustle and, and myself and William are both from the Kansas City metropolitan area, smack dab in the middle of the United States. If you're listening from somewhere outside the U.S. or if you're someone in the U.S. that didn't realize that like the Kansas City Chiefs are actually in Missouri, <laughs> blows people's minds when you tell them that. But there's a lot of agriculture and farming here. And with that, um, here in our hometown, there's a lot of uh, ag tech. And I've seen people do some very innovative things from, you know, using machine learning algorithms to apparently the look on a cow's face will tell you if it could be sick or not. Yeah, Um, yeah, yeah. And there's just like a whole lot of, you know, everything from using drones to check things out in the great wild open and stuff like that. Now, when it comes back to now, one thing I do have a grasp on. So, you know, William, I'm not sure if you're aware, but I've got about 300 employees in the Philippines. And, you know, with that, there's a different, the, the transportation methods and things that I see, uh, man, I'll tell you what, we've done a pretty decent job of, of, or doing a better job of cleaning up air quality and stuff like that here. That isn't necessarily the case everywhere. I run right. into that a lot. Uh, there's a lot of like two wheeled vehicles and stuff like that that don't have quite the the uh the 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 cleansing stuff on it so with what you're working on i mean is this something that you i mean obviously you're hoping is a worldwide solution is anyone else doing what you're doing like where where does this all go for you everybody is making def regionally and shipping it to the end user customer which is wild uh Two years ago, you know, we started the company in 2019 when we kind of saw the problem and and started brainstorming a solution. And one of my very initial conversations was with a a staff sergeant down there at the Air Force Base in Wichita, uh, McConnell. And I was telling him, you know, a little bit of our technology. And he said, well, let me tell you a very cool story. And this was kind of a a goosebumps moment for me, an aha moment, much wider, right? I'm focused on heavy duty trucking and and making those guys and fleets lives easier. And he told me a story of they had to take all their equipment to a deployment in Africa, and then they had to park it because all the death they had had gone bad. They left it outside, you know, heat, humidity can knock out that balance of urea and water in the jug. And then it doesn't, the engine will not operate. 
uh, if the death is bad. And they had to go to, you know, I think it was South Africa. They had to send a plane down to go pick up product. And he said, well, I don't even care if you're more cost effective, if you can keep my vehicles running because we measure everything in deaths. Every time we do a deployment, there's a, there's a, you know, there's a life on the line there. Um, if you can keep my vehicles operating, you're it. And that really started a whole conversation about this is much bigger than the U.S. This is all seven continents. When you really start thinking about, um, you know, military operations, they're, the diesel engine manufacturers aren't making vehicles that don't meet the Paris Agreement and aren't cleaner for, you know, third world deployments. You know, when, when they go on deployment, they take new vehicles with them. They've got these updated EPA mandated after treatment systems on board, you know. It was a, it was a very cool, I mean, I had goosebumps just talking to this guy in, in the aha moment of how big this could really be. How big is the, like how much death, which once again, diesel exhaust fluid, like how much of that do you need? Like, okay, I can visualize 20 gallons. How much yeah. death do I need to run 20 gallons? Is it like a little tiny bit or is it a lot? No, it's a little bit. So your everyday Volkswagen's got a little jug, probably the same size of your washer fluid jug, right? Your little reservoir. It's not much. But when you're talking over the road trucks, when you're talking school buses, uh, when we were at that Ag Innovation Challenge, a lot of these farmers, which was very cool because they're very similar age group that I am in who came up to me, you know, second, third generation farmers. And they're like, well, sometimes I'm out operating the tractor. I'm, you know, hundred miles from the house and we're out of death and I got to park that tractor and I have to run back to town to get death. If you guys had a machine at the farm, at the co-op, that would make my life a hundred times easier. We keep finding all these little niche markets that are using death that are struggling with uh, availability and good product. Um, when you look at, you know, when you, when you go online and look at forecasts, uh, you know, they're saying that this segment deaf usage is going to be $42 billion by 2025 or something. It's massive oh, wow. spend and it's water. We're shipping water. So most of that cost is freight. You know, you got a little packaging cost there too, of a single use plastic that ends up in the landfill, but we're shipping water to clean trucks that are already on the road. We added trucks to the road to clean trucks on the road. It makes no sense. So where's the real solution in this? Is it the manufacturing of it? Is it the improvement of it? Is it the transportation of it? Or it, it, like, I mean, it kind of sounds to me when you're talking about that farm solution and, you know, once again, back to the rural nature of where we live, of like we live here in a city, but if I drive an hour, not in any direction from where I live. I am in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. I mean, I'll be in the middle of a cow, corn, or wheat, or soy pasture. Yep. And I, I get it. The struggle's real. If you're out of something and you're in the middle of Kansas, that could take the rest of your day. 100%. So, get it. so is it about, about learning how to just, or is it like the, just the distribution of this? Like, where's the biggest problem to solve with all of it? That's what we plan to solve. We want to first get rid of all the single-use plastics, right? If you make it right there on site, let's just say the farm example or the military base, you don't have to use these single-use plastics to ship it all over the place, but you're cutting out all the additional freight costs, downtime risks, um, when you can make it right there on the spot using municipal water. Our technology, it's got some filters on board. Um, it turns it into very pure water. We add in the urea by weight, and then it 
it's like a Keurig machine. You know, you'll come in, you turn on your coffee machine, you'll turn on your deaf machine. But making it local only uh, cuts out all those costs and, and risk of downtime, but also gives you a, the purest, freshest product on the market. Because this stuff that you're buying out of the store, that's at O'Reilly, that's kept right there in front of the glass window, that's baking in the sun all summer long. You don't even know if it's good or not. Uh, you know, that was probably made a year ago. Uptime so, is what's important to these farmers. So you guys are making more of the machines than the fluid. That's exactly right. The fluid's already out there. There's an ISO spec since 2010. Our problem or our technology, the problem we're solving is availability, freshness. Make it right there on the spot. You don't have to run to town. I'm looking at a chart that's on the Nordf dot com site and it's localized water plus you're right it's got the little urea pods and yeah. in in depot mixing machine you get a picture of a mixer equals fresh def man it's, i didn't even know this stuff existed deaf so, on demand that's our tagline we even went it. as far as designing our pod which is what the urea is in like a k-cup for a keurig right the urea comes in this pod that are stackable and then returnable back to us so we can use them. So we are completely eliminating single-use plastics. The closest thing I've got to relate to this is over the weekend, my car said it was low on washer fluid. And I was like, shit, you know, <laughs> I needed it. Now, here's the thing. You know, I said I'm actually driving a Tesla. So, like, I don't get oil changes. I don't get these things that fill up the fluids. I don't stop at the gas station yeah, yeah, the same yeah. way. I went to Amazon. I was like, God, I don't know if I want to just have a ju one jug sent. And it was like, I bought some solution. I can make 32 gallons and it's just like a little tiny, exactly. a little tiny thing. I was like, huh, that sounds a lot better. I like that idea. That's exactly and right. You know, that means also I don't have to th throw away 32 gallon jugs or whatever yep. down the road or yeah. So that's, a, that's about as close as I'm going to get to that. All right. So you, you got a pretty big undertaking here. And, you know, when it comes to building machinery and stuff like that, there's obviously going to be other players in the market. You're probably like, who, who are you competing with here? And how, how do you plan on doing that? So nobody is playing in the hyper local deaf production market. We're, we're the only ones so far. And we're, uh, you know, we're, we're through proof of concept. We're working on prototype one right now. Um, with, you know, we've partnered with uh, UMKC and their technology lab. And, um, you know, I'm really curious to see how the energy market and these large producers of DEF are going to react. I think right now they just think we're a cool little fun side project, a passion project. But, you know, once we get some distribution or maybe a military contract, we're working down that path right now with UMKC on a DOD, you know, SBIR kind of research project that I hope results in a contract, you know, going forward, multi-year contract. But, um, you know, I, I don't know if they're going to try to build a machine similar to us. I mean, it's such a big market, you know, I don't know that we'll ever be more than just a small niche. But as of today, nobody's making it hyper local like we are. So what's it like when you talk about building one of these machines, like what's the goal for or how much that should cost. So off the shelf, you know, I, I know what it costs. 90% of our equipment was just off the shelf parts. You know, a lot of it is the custom stuff we need. There was a few custom parts we had to design and build, 3D print, a lot of software and programming. So that's obviously custom to us. But 
we don't want people to buy the machine. I want to own the machine and like the Colgan man, right? You, you got an office, you need some water for your employees, some fresh drinking water. That's going to be us. We'll own the machine. We'll put it in your shop. You can use it. Maybe it's the gas station along, you know, I-44 or I-70, I-80. Um, and then you just buy the urea pots from us. Got it. That makes a lot more sense. All right. Yeah. So uh, a quick reminder. So William's obviously an expert of this. I am not. But if you're looking for expert software developers, that doesn't have to be difficult, especially <laughs> when you visit fullscale.io, where you can build a software team quickly and affordably, use the Fullscale platform to define your technical needs and then see what available developers, testers, and leaders are ready to join your team. Visit fullscale.io to learn more. While you're down there, click on the link for Nordef so you can get a better idea. Maybe you can get a better grasp on this than, than I had coming into this. All right. So like, there's a lot of moving parts here, a lot to consider, um, you know, like how, all right. How difficult is it for you to explain what the hell it is that you do to people? And what we do to people? Not to people, like what you do. Like, <laughs> well, I mean, cause I mean, I, I talk to people about what I do at full scale and like some people are like, Oh, you build websites. I'm like, yeah, we yeah. really don't. You know, we want to disrupt. I have two partners, you know, we've all been in each other's weddings. We were, we're friends first. We all have that kind of green um, passion. You know, we all worked for electric vehicle companies at one point in our past. That's where a lot of us met my, my two uh, fellow founders and I, but you know that you got to have that sense of wanting to solve problems. I don't know that any one of us want to be, uh, you know, work for ourselves, self-employed. I think we want to be problem solvers. Uh, I hate to even use the term disruptors because it sounds so, you know, uh, I, I think we just want to, I think we want to make a change in a very non-logical route to market of a product that's, you know, primarily water. Um, this is our nights and weekends. We all have day jobs, you know, we're, which was interesting because when we went into that contest, you know, my, my three fellow uh, people that we competed against for that Ag Innovation Challenge, this is our day jobs. And this is our passion project almost, our nights and weekends that we're trying to get off the ground, you know. But um, yeah, you know, we're entrepreneur spirited. That's what we're focused on. We, I, I hate to use that term disruptors, but we do plan to carve out a niche in this diesel exhaust fluid market and keep some, you know, help improve the lives of some farmers and some school buses, keep them on the road and you know, maybe even make it a little bit easier for some fleets to do business and, and drive some cost out of their, you know. Well, I actually know quite a few inventors, um, you know, and, and you know, these are start, you're, you're a startup founder in that case, but a lot of the inventors that I know accept the fact that they don't want to deal with built like the actual manufacture and distribution yeah. of the product, maybe more so like they got the great idea, they sketched it out, they've got patents on it, they've created the working models or like, here you go, look, this works. And then, you know, like, and that's why I was asking, because, you know, you're talking about a, four, you're looking at $42 billion a year industry, you know, currently or whatever. That means it's a lot of billions right now. And I mean, dude, the, the capital intensive nature of doing, of just doing anything like that. And then here's the reality, uh, you know, somewhere, Somehow what you do as an entrepreneur is or probably is, is or will be a threat or competition to someone else. 
And these, some of these big, you know, you're talking about, okay, if, if DEF is a $42 billion a year thing, how big is the fuel? Yeah. You know, Huge. so some of that, I mean, here's, and, and, you know, the reality is, is a lot of, a lot of these big companies, they buy up IP and it ends up in a cabinet somewhere. A lot of and, these farmers that we ran into at that ag challenge, they said that, please take this to market. Don't, yeah. don't let someone buy this and put it in a safe somewhere. <laughs> Yeah. You know, because this that's, is a real problem I, that we need help with. But, but you know, with that, there's, you know, there's a lot of a lot of companies that go and buy this kind of stuff. And then, you know, from inventors and that's but that's the inventor's business model, you know, and because the thing is, the reality is, is when you're looking at at something and you're like, well, we just got one hundred and twenty thousand dollars in in grants or, or or this or that. I mean, you're you're about a billion away. Yeah. <laughs> from a world for, from possibly having a worldwide distribution model. Yeah. So there's a little bit, but, but that's okay. I mean, that's the thing is like trying to, I don't know, man, I've had a, I had a guy once that I gave a speech at global entrepreneur week and this guy was waiting for me afterward. And he had this like big, thick business plan. He's like, Hey dude, I'd like to talk to you about this, this plan I've got. And I was like, cool, man, what's it about? And he goes, I'm going to take down Amazon. And I was like, bro, I don't have time. <laughs> you know, like I was just like, I don't have time for this shit right now. It's like, you know, because some of that is is like, you're not. Yeah. I'm sorry, you're not. Like the reality that that I mean, sure, there is that one in a in a quadrillion chance mm-hmm. that that's gonna be what happens. But mm-hmm. you know, I should have said, Do you have pictures of Bezos or something like that? Not a business plan. <laughs> but, better chance that you way. Know, so, so there, but there's merit in, in that. Where I'm going with this is I don't want to like like the disruptor angle is a is a good thing. Um, and that's not a bad thing because you know, things have to okay, you look at like, okay, if you're old enough to even remember cabs. It was a pain in the ass to get a fucking cab, man. Like I remember one time like being in Chicago and I'm like out at a busy intersection, not in the city. And it took me, um, it's like, I was late. I was sitting there. I could not get a freaking cab to stop. And I just remember how lame and frustrating that was. And, you know, now that's, you know, Uber comes and picks you up right at your front door. And I I don't know if you asked me to invest in a cab company right now, I'd say, what's a cab? Yeah, yeah, it's the yeah. same, you know, and, and but with that, there's disruption. Disruption's a good thing, you know, and these are like, what would you rather have? Would you rather have Uber and Lyft or would you rather go back to cabs? And, you know, so these things take time and you look at like the billions and billions of dollars that went into that disruption and you know, there's a lot to, lot, lot to climb over. So anyway, I, I, when like it comes, your, I like the Amazon guy's spirit though. You know, I mean, I think that's what makes right. the ball. And so do I. And you know, that's why I said, I don't want to, I don't want to yeah. step on that. Yeah. But you know, some of the best advice that I ever got was from a guy named Laryl Holt. Laryl's the founder of uh, CarStar, which became yeah. one of the largest, was now, it probably is the largest auto body repair chain out there. And uh, he said, Matt, I said, well, Laryl, how do you look at yourself as an entrepreneur? And he said, well, I like to be a coward. And I was like, what are you talking about? Yeah. He goes, I want to take something that no one else is doing. And I want to go somewhere where everyone will leave me alone to get really good at it. And the, the, the talking to Laryl is kind of like talking to like the Oracle and Yoda at the same time. <laughs> and you kind of like have to like, you know, you have to kind of let it settle and yeah. simmer and brew and percolate and everything. I was like, whoa. 
But the, the moral of that story is that, you know, it, taking on the giants is, you know, you, well, what about David and Goliath? Well, there's the 999,999 times where Goliath just stepped on that guy and, and didn't even know it. Yeah. And that's, that's the thing. Like you talk about like the Amazon guy's spirit or whatever, and, but, but that's the thing. And another thing with that is no one wants to read your 60 page business plan the first time you meet them. Yeah. Come with one emails anymore. I'm ready ready for emails to go away. God, that would be nice. I like, you know, I'm focused on my business partners and I, the the three of us as founders, we want to solve the problem. You know, it's more of a passion project. I think when we first started this, it was, why isn't anybody else doing this? And evolutionary, you know, it kind of became, that's our theme. Like, let's just keep going until we realize why somebody else hasn't done this. And nobody's told us no yet. In fact, everybody keeps saying, that's a great idea. Keep going, keep going, you know? Well, what's, what's the, what's the one, what's the biggest problem your business is trying to solve right now? Commercialization. You know, we've got our technology figured out. We got the IP in place, waiting on the USPTO office, which has been painstakingly slow. But, um, you know, but commercial- by the way, wait, wait, take a second and talk about that process because oh. I don't think we do that enough on this show. Like that's brutal. We're here to tell that real story, and people are like, "Well, I'll get a patent on it." I'm like, "All right." <laughs> you know, I was that guy. I was that guy before we raised the money for that, and. Uh, Hovey Williams out here, you know, right down the street from where you and I are, there are um, patent attorneys and they really opened my eyes on the process and how to build a moat around your idea, you know, build plenty of room for you to grow your company because, you know, it might go in a different direction or technology could change as you continue to develop your technology. But it's a very lengthy process. Um, You know, we filed our provisionary, which just puts it out there in the world. They stamp it and say, you're first in line. And then that was or it. Or not. Or not. That's exactly yeah. right. That's it. I mean, we're $22,000 into this and they could come back and go, too bad. You know, you, you don't know. Um, it's kind of it's kind of a risk like that. But with the right legal team, you know, you kind of know how this thing's going to come out. But, you know, you did. we did our provisional back in 2020. 2021 came around. We had to file the formal patent application. Um, earlier this year, it got published online. So the world now can go, hold on. I've got something that competes with what these boys are working on. And here's my stuff. And then they let that sit out there and percolate for another, you know, 36 months or something. It's a long, it's a long process. And part of our so somewhere around 2025. Yeah, you'll you'll get it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You know, the trademark process, I was sitting at home the other day with my kids just Googling terms and looking to see what's out there. And somebody had used our name in a very similar application. I about had a heart attack. I immediately called our, our patent attorney and they got me with a trademark and we filed that right away because we didn't have a lot of brand recognition, and but then when we won that ag challenge and all those farmers knew who we were and that whole industry knew who we were and the problems we we're trying to solve, felt like they were behind us almost. All of a sudden we had brand equity and, and you know, your heart sinks. But it's a, it's, it's a, uh, you, you, you got to be in for the long haul and have a lot of faith on that PTO uh, US Patent Office uh, process. 
Yeah, that per, I know that provisional process is pretty straight, somewhat straightforward, but yeah. That, that part is, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's the part. I think a lot of people file provisionals and that's about as far as it ever goes. But don't you have to have a working model? Yeah. Before it's like an actual, like a true patent, you can't just draw it up on a bar and that's exactly right. like actually build something that that's works. That's exactly right. Because how do, they the- go about, how do they go about verifying and validating that? Well, you have to pay for the research team to go out and validate, um, but it's including all of those specifics in your patent application. What makes you specific? If it's a broad, yeah, I want to do this one thing in this one segment over here, that you got to be a little bit more specific than that on that to, to be successful with the patent. But also it's about being specific about your technology, but also in a way that expands a moat around you so you can go above and beyond another interesting thing that came up was the keurig model um you know keurig and the k-cup they protected the coffee machine but not the k-cup and everybody went out and made their own k-cup you know um so we learned from that you know case study whatever you want to call it and we put a lot of protection around our pod design as well so we are the guys that will supply our pod for our machine going forward we have a little reluctance of taking our technology out there before the patent's fully awarded, you know, um, putting pictures online or taking them to trade shows or, or contests. And that's where the legal team comes back and goes, no, you're it. You're already yeah, that's why Mar- Yeah. That's why that, that notch in the timeline. I mean, I've seen a lot of stuff. So I, yeah, the it, closest thing I have to compare to any of this is I used to work for the world's largest maker of electronic musical instruments and they got all kinds of patents on all kinds of stuff, yeah. you know, cause and, you know, once that patent's pending, anyone that's infringed upon it along the way might owe you money later. Right, right, right. That's a weird process. It, it is. It's, uh, yeah, it's. But even it's, then, it, to, to fight it, you got to spend money to fight it. You know what I mean? It just means you were there first. You landed on Plymouth Rock first. That's all it means. Yeah, the patent game's kind of weird. It's a lot to keep up with. I remember with the trademark stuff, I've gone through that. That's a, that's a whole process. It you is. know, and you got to. You got to do a lot of stuff to to protect that. I mean, there are some, fortunately, some built-in copyright and kind of stuff that you know prevent some people from coming in. And I don't know. It's it's there's a lot to be said about it. So our patent attorneys have made me feel really comfortable. They are worth their money. I mean, their hourly rates, no joke. But they really make you feel comfortable about you are protected. You can talk about it. Um, you know, some advice they gave me early on on the trademark is. Be specific with your brand, your colors, um, your taglines, and put it on everything and be consistent. That's the best way to protect your brand. Yeah, those are called brand standards. And by the way, anyone that's listening, your business should have them. I actually was talking about I was talking about this just a, a few couple of days ago and the importance of it. It's like not having brand standards would be like someone showing up at Pepsi and decided that the red and the blue yep. should be green and yellow today. That's just a completely different logo at that point. Yeah. But if you, as your business grows, and I've gone through this, so why was I even talking about this? Well, because we've got all these departments at full scale, mm-hmm. you know, and 300 employees. And, you know, 300-person companies often turn into 3,000-person companies in a heartbeat because once you get past that initial yeah. thing, you know, you're still fighting it out in this, like, beginning phase of stuff. And then when things pop, you know, things can get big in a hurry. And these are the little things you go back into. And that's because you, you want people, 
you want you need to let everyone know this is this is okay to say this is okay to use this is how we do it this is how we don't do it this is what you're allowed to do this is what you shouldn't be doing otherwise you get a bunch of people on a bunch of perches yelling a bunch of shit that you don't really want them to yell there's one other thing i wanted to define so you use the word moat a couple times when you talk about an economic or product or industry type moat that's the protection you have or the distance you have between you and the next competitor. That's right. So um, you'll look at something, well, like Tesla is a good example. We talked about them earlier. Tesla actually has a very small moat because there's a, a ton of people making electric cars right now and a, and a bunch of people that have, you know, they say, well, yeah, and honestly, their electric car is better than the other cars. It really is. And um, but with that, you know, there's a bunch of people coming up on them. I mean, you look at uh, something like Google has a very wide economic, has a very wide moat because there aren't a whole lot of, right. what do you do? Are you like, yeah, I'm going to Yahoo. People are like, well, Bing has chat GPT in it. Yeah. Until I hear someone say, Bing it. No one's like, Hey, let me Bing you. You know, like I, who, who listening goes to Bing.com before they go to Google. That's right. Good. And that's, that's right. But that's a real thing, you know, and it's the same thing. And it's like, you know, so that that's what the moat means. And and the the you know, the the purpose of a moat in medieval times was to protect you from the enemy. It's a strategy. You know, swim across that thing, they put alligators and all kinds of nasty shit in there, and it's a protective mechanism. And that's something that your investors, acquirers, and other people look at. Yep. Because if you like, and that's that's where that inventive process is, is pretty, pretty great, you know, in the beginning, because like you said, like, you know, I don't want to get too deep into it, but you know, the, because I don't want to ask you a bunch of stuff you don't want to probably publicize on a podcast, but um, you know, there's, I mean, there's a lot of ways to, I mean, sometimes just creating that moat is to get a shovel and start digging. Mm -hmm. No castle had a moat right away. Well, it's a hard, it's hard because it's early on to protect yourself. But you got to have to kind of guess where you're going to be, you know, 48 months down the road where technology could go, um, where where the comp- competition could be, who's going to, you know, it, it's a strategy as much as it is protection. Well, and there's a lot of, like I mentioned, having worked in musical instrument, I mean, this is a long time ago, but that was company Roland. And Roland invented MIDI, M-I-D-I, Musical Instrument Digital Interface, which is like the the community, like the operating system that so many, you know, that, that is what makes a keyboard communicate with a computer or whatever. And the inventor of that was the founder of Roland who actually didn't patent it. He's like, this is too good for, I want everyone to have this, which is one of the most selfless things I've ever seen in entrepreneurship, to be honest, because that would have been pretty valuable. And they patented and and hung on to some other things. But in that particular case, you will run into a lot of companies that get some stuff out there because it's better to be out there. And sometimes it's better for the industry and like a lot of that. So there are some things that you see, you know, we've talked since we've mentioned Tesla a couple of times, Tesla's done that with a few different things. And, you know, I don't know, there's some things that you'll see that because, because sometimes, uh, so you mentioned like the, the K cup um, and Keurig, like I could actually make a mild argument for like letting that out there. Cause you know, maybe you can't make every single flavor or everything that someone wants. There's something to be said about having accessibility to you. If, okay. That, that's kind of like software and hardware. 
you know, and I remember I'm a, I'm a diligent Apple person, but I remember, you know, you remember not everything was ready for Apple or oh, like yeah. you had an iPhone app, but you didn't have an Android app and all these things. And it's good. It's good to not always have just one. Like there's, there's a lot that those competing products have a lot to do that. Now, if you're trying to build a product, you need to hire a software engineers, testers, or leaders, full scale can help. We have the people in the platform to help you build and manage a team of experts, go to fullscale.io. And all you need to do is answer a few questions, let our platform match you up with fully vetted, highly experienced team of engineers, software engineers, testers, and leaders full scale. We specialize in building long-term teams that work only for you. Learn more when you visit fullscale.io. There is a link in the show notes for that. And there is a link for nordf.com. If you want to go down there and give a click and, and see what William and, and his, and his people are up to uh, with that, you know, we're here at the end of another episode of Startup Hustle. And anytime I get a founder, uh, have a conversation with a founder, I like to end my episodes with the founder's freestyle. So, you know, these, I think that probably the number one comment I get from guests is, wow, that went fast. So I always give everyone an opportunity to say anything that they didn't get to say, thank people, talk about key, anything key we talked about. So here's the mic, brother. What do you got? You know, when I, we first started doing this, came up with this idea and took it to market or, uh, you know, designed it in the garage and took it to the patent attorneys and, and everybody said, you know, why has anybody done this before? I mean, it, it is a lot of business knowledge and it's a lot of understanding the problem, being able to articulate it, but it's a lot of faith. It's a lot of faith in yourself. It's confidence, but it's faith that this is a problem that everybody needs and to see it through. And, you know, I tell this story just, just what we've accomplished so far in our three years of doing this, you know, building this brand and winning this contest and these conversations with the department of defense that I'm just so much fun. And it's very inspiring. Um, if you have an idea, just do it, just go for it. What do you got to lose? You know, that's that entrepreneur spirit. Like I said, I don't want to be self-employed. I just want to solve a problem and, and see if it goes anywhere, you know, leave a mark. That's what I'm after. And I, I, I would, I really encourage other people to do it too and, and just try it out. You know, it's a lot of fun learning. It's a passion project. Yeah. I think, uh, uh, you know, for my freestyle, a couple of things that stood out here is, well, first off, thanks for working on any environmental solutions. I always, I always want to thank people because I swear, man, every founder I get on here that's working on something like it, it's some thankless shit. It is real. And I, and I mean that in the most loving way possible because no one's thanking people that are that often the way that they should, you know, I've had people that are, that are reinventing seafood, cleaning the oceans, working on the environment, like fixing all these things. And like, I, I mean, they have a harder time getting support and getting money than Someone that's quite honestly on many days building damaging shit. So, you know, Kansas City is such a startup market and there's so much startup resources here in Kansas City. But honestly, when we go out and talk about our technology and our hardware and the problem we're trying to solve, I mean, it's just like people don't, everything here is healthcare. And well, that's, why I asked, that's why I asked earlier, how hard do you have, how hard of a time do you, like, I didn't even know what deaf was. <laughs> I had no clue. I was like, diesel. Great. Like, I didn't realize that there was like another yeah. thing on there. Yeah. Everybody's starting you know? apps, you know? No, I appreciate you saying that. That's very cool. 
Well, I mean, but it's important. And, you know, that's the thing that, that a lot of people I, I think don't wrap their arms around when it comes to entrepreneurship is there is a whole ton of it that goes on and occurs do like, it's like you mentioned, it's a passion project. And then, you know, another thing that I want to remind everyone is that, you know, there's this saying that the riches are in the niches and, Mm. um, and it is really true. Like I have met so many people that have accumulated wealth or built and exited or manage a highly profitable company. And you're like, what do you do? And they're like, I import ostrich feathers from Zambia. And I'm like, where is Zambia? You know, like, you know, so, so with that though, that's back to that whole, like that cowardly approach, like go find this little thing, this niche. And, and, you know, I think everyone's out there as an entrepreneur and we, we build this like fantasy structure around this unicorn company and this billion dollar enterprise. And like, look, those are very, very rare. I know most of the most successful people I know, and I've met a lot of successful people, especially through this podcast that, you know, like, Hey, like it doesn't have to be a billion dollar thing, at Mm -hmm. least for you, Mm -hmm. um, to, to be highly successful and make a huge difference. So, you know, find these little niches. I think that, you know, in 2023 and beyond that, um, you know, that that's in many ways is going to be the future of, of entrepreneurship because let's be realistic, man. A lot of the core things, the obvious shit has been done and trying to enter, try to enter those, those races against people that have been in it for 15, 25, 40 years at this point can be, or, or more or more. You know, and that's, that's why I was surprised to hear, like, to hear about this. Cause you know, the diesel engine, I mean, that's not a new thing. That's not a new thing. Yeah. That was like, that was, that was you know, when they came out with the unleaded engine and all that. I mean, oh, we're getting rid of diesel. So who knows, but man, thanks for fighting the good fight and best of luck to you. I'll catch up with you and check in on the progress on this down the road. I appreciate you. Thanks for having me on today. Good conversation. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.